All right, guys, we're getting right into it tonight. Let's begin with the word of prayer. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we bless you, we honor you for your faithfulness to us, and we ask in this time of sharing and growing and impartation that we want to be better. Our aim is to bear fruit and be fruitful disciples. This is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Good to see y'all tonight. I told you we're diving right in. I have to go preach at a church right up the street, so I want to make sure that I'm getting my information to you guys, so I'm going to give you a lot to cover tonight, but I want to make sure that we are uh, keeping the same trajectory and the same velocity as far as what we're going through this process, all right? By way of a quick review, what we've been discussing is bearing fruit. We talked about it from the state of evangelism. We talked about the cost of discipleship. We talked about hanging with the teacher, knowing Jesus, but then also we talked about how none of that could happen, and this was last week's recap until unless we have the Holy Spirit, and that is an important factor, and I hope um, that was uh, outlined for us um, in, in that way. Today, I want to kind of talk about the posture of a disciple, and I really want to deal with, um, with all that we've been talking about the four weeks prior, and here being the fifth week. Um, I want to make sure that we are in the same trajectory as far as understanding the significance of how that helps us when it comes to our discipleship. So I want to get into it tonight. I've got, got quite a bit. I want you to see the trajectory of it and then uh, facilitators take it over and we'll uh, go up the street and, and share the good news of the gospel. Number one, obedience determines the growth and fruitful production of a disciple of Jesus. I want you to get this because at the end of the day, this is the main thing. This is the thrust of all we're going to be talking about. Here is everything is going to be birthed out of this one idea, which is obedience. Obedience is important. Obedience is crucial to discipleship. Matter of fact, it determines the individual's pursuit and their adherence to the Word of God. Matter of fact, without obedience to the Word, a disciple of Jesus will dwindle. It, it, obedience is like water to a plant, right? Uh, it, it's what nourishes, it's what allows it to flourish, it allows it to thrive. In the same way that we think about that, obedience is crucial for our understanding of discipleship. Someone say obedience. Now, I want you to get this because this is another part of it. Partial obedience is full disobedience. When God calls us to obey, you don't get good grades because you did 99 and a half. It's all or nothing when it comes to obedience, especially when it comes to our fellowship and adherence to the Word of God. I love what Gary O. Thomas said. He said this, obedience is really the desire to live deeply, thoughtfully, and in communion with God in the everyday pathways of our lives. It's the only life that brings true, lasting fulfillment and the inner satisfaction of being filled. In other words, obedience is an essential virtue for disciples of Jesus, being able to become fruit-bearing disciples. As a matter of fact, if you ever look at the miracles of Jesus, you'll note that none of them were able to be manifested until the other person obeyed. John chapter 2, remember what happens? They, were, they ran out of wine. What did Mary say? Whatever he says, do it. Man was blind. Jesus told him, go to the pool of Siloam, wash he had to do it to see his miracle manifested. In other words, what I'm submitting for you to really think through in this lesson today is that obedience is crucial to everything coming to pass in our lives when it comes to the discipleship. Without obedience, your discipleship does not work. With that being said, as we talk about it and why that is a significant portion for us, 
Number two, obedience leads to the door that allows disciples of Jesus to experience the blessings of God. Here is a real quick thing. Obedience equals blessings. Disobedience equals no blessings. Just simple as that. Matter of fact, we get that precedent as we read the word of God. Remember the relationship between the children of Israel and God. God was very clear that if you want blessings, there's a prerequisite to it. And the prerequisite to it simply is obedience. Exodus 9 19 verse 5 says this, now if you will carefully listen to me, keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. Deuteronomy 11 verses 13 through 15 says, if you carefully obey my commands, I'm giving you today to love the Lord your God and worship him with all your heart and with all your soul, I will provide rain in your land in the proper time. Autumn and spring rains, and you will harvest your grain, new wine, and fresh oil. I will provide grass in your fields for your livestock. You will eat and be satisfied. Notice what God tells them. He says, listen, I got everything for you. I'm going to provide for you, but it depends on how well you obey. Blessings are there. Prosperity is there. I'll give you rain in due season. I will make sure you have no other issue. All you have to do is obey, and I promise you, yours. And, and how many of you, here's my challenge, and here's why it's going to be an interesting conversation for us tonight, is that oftentimes we wrestle because God just lays it out. Do what I say do, and you got it. It's almost like when I was a child, Dr. Brown, my parents would give me, grandparents would give me a list of chores, right? I had to do all, I couldn't do just some of the chores, and expect to be rewarded because I did some of them. No, either they were all completed. If you get them all completed, you get to go Chick-fil-A and get Chick-fil-A. That was a reward when I was growing up. Amen. Chick-fil-A was good. Still good. Mm-mm-mm. Right? Having a flashback. Pray for me. Right? But that was, the, that was the thing. That was if you did what you were supposed to do, this is the reward for it. Obedience is invariably crucial to a fruitful life. And here's why obedience is crucial. Because most of us, I think we got the want to, but God is not interested in you wanting to. He's interested in that you do. Godliness consists of not merely having a heart intent on doing the will of God, but having a heart that actually does it. I think that's a lot of the challenge. That's where the rubber hits the road in obedience because for most of us, the struggle comes. I think we have good intentions. We want to do right. But you're not given brownie points for wanting to do right. Do right. It's almost like you have this desire, I'm, I want to lose weight. Well, that's going to take some work. I want more money. That's going to take some work. See, there's a difference between wanting and wishing and hoping and actually putting something in play that's going to bring it to pass. And oftentimes that's the struggle. And God says, I'm not judging you because you have, I have a lot of people. And maybe that's why the old adage goes, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Because we got good intentions, but good intentions don't get it done. What are you doing? Because in essence, we are not judged on what we want to do. We are judged on what we do. Because if it was up to what we want to do, all of us want to do right. And I'm hoping, you know. But that is one of the things. And that's the manifestation that comes to play. That's why obedience is cruel. Matter of fact, the word obedience 
It literally means, when we define it from its literal interpretation, appropriate submissive obedience to an authority beyond oneself, whether human or divine. Obedience is simply saying, I am, I am, I am adhering to what you say because I'm acknowledging that you're higher than me. It's from disciple to the rabbi. It's from child to parent. It's from human to God. Walter Brueggemann says this. He says, obedience is a willing, ready response to God's purpose. And that's why it's so important. That's why the conversation tonight, especially in lieu of how we discern discipleship and why it's so crucial and important, is because I don't really, I don't think we understand why obedience and what it benefits us. You do realize that our obedience to God, obedience to Jesus, literally produces certain benefits in our lives. And the two benefits that we can automatically say is that obedience in Jesus, number three, produces a prosperous life and eternal life. That's why obedience is so crucial and so important and so significant because it brings two benefits, prosperity and eternity. From a prosperous life, that's why he says this, John 10, he says, I have come so that you may have life and have it more abundantly. When we talk about eternal life, John 14 and 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father but by me. Here is the interesting thing and why we, we should obey Jesus is because Jesus has a connection to every tense of life. Jesus is, Jesus was, and Jesus is to come. This connection to every tense of life, past, present, and future, reveals why the disciples of Jesus should submit their obedience to him. In other words, what I'm telling you, why obedience should be easy for us is because in essence we recognize that Jesus is, Jesus was, and Jesus is to come. There is no aspect of time, especially in our lives, that Jesus does not know. Which means his chief aim is to make sure that we are hearing to his will because he knows what's going to best benefit us. That's why Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 is powerful. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. <laughs> and let me put it in layman's term. Grandma and I was singing that song, hold to God's unchanging hands. Oh, that's some great stuff right there. That's some good theology in them hymns, I'm telling you. Because literally what he's saying, he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Because I understand who he is. It gives me the ability to follow him and listen to him. Why? Because he is everything. He knows all. Who wouldn't want to obey someone that knows all? If that is the case, why do we struggle with it? And I'm going to tell you what I believe is perhaps one of the great issues that we wrestle with when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to obedience, is because most of us are in relationship with God simply out of obligation. And I meet so many people who the only reason they're connected to Jesus is they don't want to go to hell. So they operate fear-based. I do things because I don't want to go to hell, which is not a good motivating factor to operate in any relationship, but most importantly in our walk with the Lord, which means the antithesis of that is if God does not want us to operate in fear to obey him, then it, it begs to offer to us 
than what it takes for us to obey him wholeheartedly. It takes love. That's why number four, love for Jesus is the motivation for obedience. A better way to put this is obedience is an inward compulsion that grows out of the love for someone. I obey because I love you. I'm going to flesh that out a little more. Obedience only exists when a person inwardly assents to what is required of them. Whereas, in essence, what I'm submitting for us to consider tonight is that God wants you to want to obey him. He doesn't want you to externally do. I don't know about you. Okay, have you, growing up, did you just do stuff because you just did it? You didn't want to get in trouble, punishment. So I cleaned my room. Not that I really wanted to clean my room, but I don't know if I didn't clean my room, I was going to get in trouble. But that's not what God is saying. I want you to want to want to clean your room because you love me enough to know that I don't like a dirty room. And because your heart knows what I desire, you'll do it out of your love for me. Maybe that's what he meant in John 14, verse 15, when he said, If you love me, you will keep my commands. John 14, 15. That word love, and we've been talking about that a lot, and we'll push that a little further, expresses a love that wills to initiate a relationship and shows kindness and self-sacrifice. You notice a lot of the detailed dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. He's very clear in calling them not disciples. He doesn't like call them strangers. He uses verbiage of friendship like you're my friend, right? He goes at them in that way. John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And here's the truth. Maybe, maybe, maybe you'll never know how much you love Jesus. Because the depth of our love for Jesus may never truly be known until we are faced with a choice. See, it's easy to love when you don't have no options. In essence, if you really want to know if you're the one, is where you picked in the span of options. See, when you choose with options, that means your heart is sold out. Maybe that's why Jesus said this in Luke chapter 16. He says, no servant can serve two masters. He says, he either hate one or love the other. Be devoted to one or despise the other. In other words, what I'm submitting is that you have got to make the choice. Because here's the truth. Let's be real. You don't have to love Jesus. You do realize that, right? You, you're not compelled. You know, you can choose the world, do what you want to do. God gives us this strange gift of free will. But when we willingly commit out of love and that love motivates us, that's when obedience really happens. Why? Because he has your heart. In essence, that's what discipleship is all about. That's what most of us miss when it comes to giving and it comes to our service. As you think is external, he understands. If I got your heart, I got your hands. I got your feet. I'll have your pockets. I don't... That's why for most of us, you get caught up in the external stuff when he says, now, if I get your heart, it ain't a struggle for you to give to me. If I got your heart, it ain't a struggle for you to serve me. It's not a struggle for you to give time for the kingdom of God. 
Obedience is neither force when you read it upon disciples of Jesus, nor is their coercion because their submission is a result of their love for him. And one of the most interesting conversations in Scripture takes place in John chapter 21. It comes at a very interesting time. It's when Jesus has been resurrected. And John 21 is his interaction with the disciples who decided to go fishing after uh, his crucifixion. What makes John 21 is so interesting, if you go for a recap on that narrative, remember they were out there fishing. Jesus is on the shore cooking what they were looking for. They can't fish. He gives them this real odd, real odd, strange command. Throw the net on the other side. Now, anybody ever think about it? That boat is not that big. So on one hand, that would be an odd command. What's the difference, Jesus, between this side and that side? The difference was his word. So when they tore it on the other side, their nets get so filled, they automatically know, hey, that's not just some regular guy grilling fish. That's Jesus. So what happens? Peter, like he always does, he jumps out of the boat, takes off his clothes. He, he basically runs naked to the shore. He gets there, and what happens? Jesus and Peter now have a conversation. Now, this is interesting. Remember, last time Jesus and Peter talked, it wasn't necessarily on the best of terms. Because in the last conversation, Jesus said, look here, bro, you're going to betray me. No, you're going to deny me. Not me, Jesus. No, you're going to deny me. Matter of fact, you ain't going to just deny me once. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crow. Not me, Jesus. Okay. Y'all know how it goes down. He denies him. Luke gives a story that he looks up and catches eyes with Jesus, runs away crying. To the point where can you imagine the last time he meets with Jesus, the disappointment of knowing he already called it and I still did it. But I was so interested in the conversation because if you read the conversation that Jesus and Peter have, Jesus does not automatically say, I told you so. He doesn't say, hey, man, what lessons did you learn from denying me? Jesus opens the conversation with this simple phrase, do you love me? Of course I love you, Jesus. Feed my sheep. That in essence, that boils up it bottles up the entirety of what Jesus needed from Peter. It was not about, man, let's talk about what you did wrong. It wasn't about, hey, man, let's talk about how you can prevent it in the future. It boiled down to one thing. That's all I need to know, Peter. With all of your ups and downs and your hangups and all the crazy stuff that you're going to do, Peter, this is all I need to know. Do you love me? And if you can answer that in the affirmative, we're going to be good. Because if you love me, I know you can handle the rest. Which powers me because here's the crazy thing. I think Jesus still answers that question for us every day. That every day we are faced with that same inquiry. As many times as we fall down, the frailties that we have, Jesus still whispers in our ear, do you love me? Then do right today. Do you love me? Serve me in the kingdom. That in essence, what Jesus is saying, that love is the motivation to do right. I don't want you to fear me because you think I'm going to throw you in hell. I want you to do what you do because you love me. Which is where I really have been trying to really push myself theologically. Because I do think for a long time we have scared people into relationship with Jesus. And if you operate by fear, it will never last. But his whole ministry was not predicated on fear. It was predicated on love. 
So if love is a motivating thing, if love is supposed to help us to be able to obey, another crucial part of discipleship is five, listening. Listening is an essential element of obedience. I know that sounds so elementary, but I will admit to you, there is a difference between hearing and listening. It's impossible to obey Jesus' words if you have not heard his words. The words of a person cannot be learned apart from listening to that person. Growing up, I used to, I used to do this. I, you know, I was, perhaps I'm the only one in here. My, my parents would give me some, some, some directions. And I would, sometimes I didn't hear them, sometimes I did. And I would always respond sometimes with the huh, you know, huh. And my grandma or granddad would respond, if you can huh. Y'all said that same thing too? Now, on one hand, maybe I was being funny. I hope not. I was a little smart actor as a kid. But in essence, what I was trying to get is clarity because if you don't hear, if you don't listen, if you don't get it, you will never be able to operate in doing something. And that's why most of us struggle is because the Bible is very clear. And all you're getting, get understanding. So how do we listen? How, what's the proper way to listen? I submit to you tonight that to listen, there must be a stilling of the mind, the heart, and the body. Stillness is a viable component in listening. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I'm God. Now, that sounds easy, but maybe I'm in here by myself. I struggle with silence. All right. All right. Don't do well with it. One of the things that I tried to do this year, part of my fast, is I'm trying to develop the skill of meditation. It's been hard. You got to build up to some stuff. Because a lot of times I will submit to you that too many of us got too much going on that God doesn't even have time to respond. Elijah had to find it out. When he was on the side of the mountain, there was earthquake, fire, and all this other stuff. And God said, I'm not in that, but he was in a still, small voice. You know, at the end of the day, here's the truth. I submit to you that most of us talk too much in prayer time. Amen. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for waking me up this day. I want to thank you for all that you're doing. By the time you say amen, the Lord ain't had no time to respond. He ain't had time to say that. You done already moved on to the next thing. When was the last time you just prayed and said, God, speak? And sat there and just listened. Being still enables one to receive what is being said, but the ultimate goal in listening is to recognize and understand what is being communicated. That's why at the end of the day, comprehending the message in the manner in which the sender communicates, it takes empathic, empathic thinking, E-M-P-A-T-H-I-C, empathic thinking. It's, it's listening, excuse me, empathic listening. Listening with the intent to understand. That's why the words he said in John chapter 10, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. When he says they know my voice, understand in antiquity, a person was not devoid of being associated or being a part of what their voice was. Their voice was them. When he says those words, we got to put it into their context. He's saying, by them hearing my voice, they know who I am. There's a lot of other voices out there. I'm not the only voice speaking, but they know my voice. And how, how do you know the voice? Because you're used to the voice. Stephen Covey writes in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said, emphatic listening gets inside another person's frame of reference. 
So how should we listen? Because listening goes beyond just your ears. Disciples of Jesus must listen with two things, their minds and their hearts. Disciples of Jesus, number six, must listen with their minds and their hearts. Must not only understand and feel the words of Jesus, but also be sensitive to them. To know the essence of who Jesus is, we must know his words. The word we get in the Bible for word is logos, and I want you to understand why that's significant. Logos, from a contextual understanding, has two meanings. It, number one, means mind and reasoning, because in those days, they really wanted to know why things happened. They were very regimented in order. They had an amazing curiosity. That's why some of our early scholars and philosophical people created this whole notion of logos. They want to understand why things happen. What came first, the chicken or the egg? Right? There was this curiosity about how things were to pass. But the second meaning of logos is just simply words. In antiquity, in those days, a person was not separated from what they said. So put that in the context of Jesus. His words are not just sounds that tickle our ears. His words, in essence, are him. Because what he speaks is him. That's why John 1, 1 through 3, says this, in the beginning was the word. Let me put it in the right way. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God, and he was with God in the beginning. All things created through him, and part of him, not one thing was created or has been created. What does he mean? He literally says that what Jesus speaks is him. That's why Jesus could talk to Peter on the water and speak a word, come, and he walk on it because then his words became the bridge. That's how he could speak to centurion who had a sick son and he spoke a word and the word became a doctor in that son's room and healed him because what the word for Jesus is, it is him. That's why the Bible is unlike anything else. That's why you can read it from whatever genre, whatever literary expression. But in essence, when we know his word, we know him because in antiquity, you cannot be separated from what you say. See, our contemporary mindset believes that actions speak louder than words, not in their day. What you spoke is who you are. That's why it was so significant when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He makes declarations that honestly for us, we get muted because of our contemporary context. But understand, when he made these declarations, he was simply saying, I am. I am he. I am the one. And the same way that it is gravitated to them in antiquity is the same way we can grab it for us today. We must listen with our minds and our hearts. Here's seven. To truly be a fruitful disciple, we must remain in fellowship with Jesus. See the progression of obedience. Obedience is motivated by love, is it has to be an essential nature of listening, that I learn how to listen, not just with my ears, with my mind and heart, but then ultimately obedience comes when I learn how to remain in fellowship with Jesus. There must never be a time where we experience broken fellowship between Jesus and his word. That's why John 15, 1 through 8 is so powerful. I remind us that was really the corporate banner for us as a church this year. 
Listen to what Jesus says in John 15. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it produces more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as the branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me if anyone does not remain in me. They're throwing aside like branch and he withers. That gathers them, throw them in the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. I got to go, but do y'all hear what he said? He said, if you remain in me, and I remain in you, and my words remain in you. See, here's what makes it interesting. What, this is how you tap into the promise of God. Thank you for the revelation. It's simply... When you regurgitate back to God what God already said. That literally prayer and those things is me reminding God of what he's already said. I can speak confidently and boldly. I can say by your stripes I'm healed. Why? Because that's what he said. So I regurgitate back to God a promise he already told me. It's like going to the bank. ATM. You can't draw something that you don't have in the bank. It's like having the access code. The access code is his word. He's already told you what to say. He's given them out. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. He didn't just say, make it up on your own. He said, I'm going to give you what to say when you pray. I'm going to give you the context and the mindset about what I desire and what I have for your life. All you got to do is let that stay in you. And when it comes out, it's already going to remind you that it's already done. That word abide, mental, remain, to be at home. It gives the image, y'all, of, of being comfortable at home. There's no place like, like home. I don't know about you. Travel so much, ain't comfortable on the road. I like being home. Home is cool. You can, because on the road, you don't know how the road is. You know, I'm funny on the road. You know, some of y'all don't realize. You don't know how many people been in them rooms. And they don't be changing the covers. They change the sheets. Y'all nasty. I know y'all got on just nasty. They don't be changing them covers. Y'all know that. I take everything off. I am not playing. Right? But you're at home. You know, you know you're at home. You're comfortable. And that's what he says. I want you to be comfortable with me. Be at peace with me. When we begin to meditate the word of God, the word of God becomes saturated in our thinking process. Obedience to the word of God is required in order for disciples of Jesus to mature to a level in which they're able to bear fruit. In essence, what I'm submitting for you tonight is obedience is crucial. It is huge. It matters. And without obedience, we can't be a disciple of Jesus. Rebel what's going to come. Thank you, guys. I just want to share the information. He's going to lead us in discussion of the um, three questions. Uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be talking... Uh, and continuing the conversation. Y'all pray for us tonight, and uh, God bless y'all. All right. Come on, let's bless God for our senior pastor. Come on, bless God for him. Amen. Amen. How many of you are blessed by that word tonight? Amen. All right, so our three questions are a part of your outline tonight, and those of you who are watching online, those questions will be up on our screen, and you can certainly participate. And so let's walk through what these three questions are for our consideration tonight, and we're going to ask you to pair up and group up with those that you can have these communications with tonight. 
First one is, recall a time, listen to the language, when it was difficult to be obedient and the consequences of your disobedience. Recall a time when it was difficult to be obedient and the consequences of your disobedience and what is the lesson from it. Number two, recall a time when you were obedient and the blessings of your obedience and the lessons that you gained from it. Recall a time when you were obedient and the blessings of your obedience and the lessons you gained from it. Number three, recall a time when the word of God helped you discern the voice of God. Okay? So again, those online, please feel free to gather with those who are around you and have those discussions. And we're going to ask those in the congregation at this time to please pair up and group up and have those discussions. We'll give you a few minutes to go through those three questions, and then we'll be back on the other side to open the dialogue.